Yeah. Weezy, I Early signing day is here. Penn State set to sign what should be the vast majority of its class of 2019. Right now, checking in at number 12 in the country in the 24-7 sports rankings. We are checking in as the number one Penn State recruiting podcast all year long. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. That's Tyler Donahue. Good group so far for the Nittany Lions. Uh, number 12 overall. But when you look at average star ranking, which you know you're, you're, you're talking about signing smaller classes right now against a group of 25 or whatnot, you're looking really good if you're Penn State. Yeah, I mean, this has been continued theme for Penn State. They're recruiting at a high level. You know, they're on that threshold of potentially another top 10 recruiting class, something they accomplished last year. But I think they're in a good spot. Three straight top 15 recruiting classes. Hear so much from James Franklin about how depth is reaching an all-time high for this program. No surprise, there's a direct correlation with the way they were recruiting. And uh, yeah, they should be on the verge. And if last year serves as any kind of indication, uh, those who are committed will be signed uh, when, when Wednesday is in the books. And, and then we'll keep tabs all the way through Friday because this period uh, does extend through Friday. But after that, we talked about it before, attention shifts towards the traditional National Signing Day in February. But uh, we've said it before, we'll say it again. This is, you know, the main dish of this recruiting cycle. No question. Um, and Penn State, probably not going to have a ton of action on National Signing Day. Zach Harrison will sign. Noah Kane, Cornelius Johnson, a couple of guys Penn State's going after. And then the rest will sort of carry over into February. But really, they got probably the best news they could get this week. Adisa Isaac, four-star defensive end from New York. Uh, this is a guy that's been on top of our big board at Lions 24-7 for a long time. Uh, tremendous upside at this kid. 6'5", 220. Comes off the edge really, really well. 22 Sacks as a high school senior this past season, um, and for him to hop on board finally, it was just one of those things where you kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And he took these trips and checked out uh, Miami, and he wanted to see some other schools. But Penn State got him on campus for the whiteout. They've been in really, really good. Uh, position for probably most of his recruitment. I think I put my crystal ball pick, pick back in uh, April, but uh, it, it, it's a really big pickup for Penn State and, and heading into signing day, I think is the shot in the arm that they needed. Yeah, Adiza Isaac never you know, went out there and said, Penn State's my favorite, you know, uh, book it, you know, everyone else is playing catch up. But you got the sense, especially really dating back to the summer, um, that Penn State was in the driver's seat here, and they and they had a deal and contend with different coaching staffs. And, and Miami was a team that that made a push. Miami's interestingly enough a team that's kind of been conflicting with Penn State here d- down the stretch of the recruiting process. But uh, you mentioned the stats: thirty plus tackles for loss, twenty plus sacks to his credit. I think him, you know, putting him with someone like a Jason Oway, who, who's a year ahead of the curve now as a freshman. Uh, you look at what their stock piling at defensive end uh, what they're going to have next year what they're going to have down the future continues to me to be a really a position that impresses and one that I'm sure Sean Spencer is excited about the long-term ambitions there has to be. And you go back to Isaac from New York. This is a kid Penn State should get. If, if Penn State wants to recruit nationally, that's one thing. If Penn State uh, wants to be the power in its region, that's that's completely another. So this is a kid that Penn State sort of had to get. Um, he's a really talented prospect. Don't really come uh, see him coming in and playing right away. I don't think, uh, you know, he's he's got the refined tools where Yitor Gross Matos, hey, you know, was also a very productive high school kid, came in and played right away. Didn't play a ton, but played right away. I don't think it 
Adis Isaac's that guy. But when you look at the type of ceiling that Isaac can have coming off the edge, he can, you know, eventually be a 255, 260 pounder that can sort of cause havoc off the edge. Really like what Penn State got there. And, and really they needed him. I mean, Penn State's defensive line class is one of the spots and we're going to get to the, the, the rest of the class here soon, but really one of those spots where they needed it most defensive end, defensive tackle and to, to pair him with Akeem Beeman to have a couple of guys uh, that you have a shot at in February or to sign in February or like Smith Vilbert and Jared Harrison Hunt, Devon Ellis, some of those guys to get Isaac in the boat, to get him signed early and to get him on campus in January, which he plans to, to enroll early as well, is, is certainly a big deal for James Franklin and Sean Spencer. Penn State took care of a lot of business in this recruiting cycle before high school summer breaks hit. I think we're all going to remember that that big flurry of commitments in, in mid-May and, and carried over into June. And, and Beeman was there at the tail end as a June commitment. But as you've discussed and we've discussed, um, you know, he's somebody that you, you see sliding inside. So where is the perimeter uh, defensive lineman? You know, here he is. And this has been the guy at the top of the list, as you referenced. Um, Zach Harrison, probably at the top of just about everybody's list. But uh, it's always seemed like Adiza Isaac was more the legitimate uh, the legitimate outcome if they got their way and they were able to pull it off. And I think they end up with a very talented defensive end. And and to the point that maybe he's not ready in 2019, well, he that's a position where you don't need him to be ready in 2019. I think you really like what you have coming back into the fold based on what we project to be the defensive end group next year. Remember, there's guys like Shane Simmons and, and Shaka Tony and Daniel Joseph who are going to be ready to take another step forward solidly in place as Penn State veterans in 2019. I think I think Jason Owe, uh, Nick Tarburton, we saw them in, in appearances here and there and without burning that red shirt. And because of that new red shirt role, maybe that's tailored well for someone like an Adiza Isaac, who we figure does have some physical progression, technical progression uh, to get to the point where he's going to be a consistent uh, down in, down out, down out kind of college defender. Yeah, that, that new redshirt rule, I think you'll see it play out similarly what to what you did this year with uh, with a Jason Awe or a Nick Tarburton, where you can get in there and get his feet wet but not waste that year of eligibility. Uh, you'd like to have it back for some of those guys uh, that, are, that, are, that didn't get to go through that rule, but that's a, another discussion. And regardless what Sharif Miller decides about his NFL future, you've got Gross Matos, you've got Simmons, you've got Tony, you've got Daniel Joseph, Tarburton, and Awe to come back as well. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good spot to be in. If you're Penn State, uh, and, and, and really just a, a bunch of talent, and I think it's one of those situations where they're, they're going to make everybody else better. Yeah, now I think a lot of focus will be on the interior defensive positions. You still got a guy like Smith Vilbert out there. A defensive line going to be, continue to be a focus, and as well, offensive line. We said Monday. Learned some positive news for Penn State with Adiza Isaac. You know, the other end of that coin a little bit with Ja'Kai Moore's announcement down in Virginia. Yeah, that was a tough one for Penn State. Uh, they were in it all the way with South Carolina, and it seemed the relationships that he had with South Carolina sort of run out. I mean, it happens. You just get beat sometimes, and and, that, and that's a tough one to swallow because of the situation Penn State's in at tackle. Of course, I think Anthony Wigan will end up at tackle. It depends what some of the guys that are on the roster currently uh, decide to do, but still, Ja'Kai Moore was a guy that, that we really liked. We've talked about him before, and he's a really good pickup for South Carolina, and that's a tough one because there's really no 
uh, fallback plan that's the, that's sort of a fail-safe. You've, you had Doug Nestor on campus this weekend for an unofficial visit. He's committed to Ohio State, but I think Penn State, as we said last podcast, really has a shot there. Um, offered a couple of guys, and, and they'll reset some boards and, and see what's out there and see who doesn't sign for a couple ones. Might give yourself a chance to take, uh, excuse me, give yourself an opportunity to take a chance on a guy, maybe not as developed, maybe not a 300-pounder and work his way up and see what happens there. But uh, to, to lose out on a guy like Moore, who's been at the top of your board for a long, long time, that's that's a stinger right there. And there haven't been a ton of them for Penn State in this class. And you augment that by the fact that Nana Asedu is not part of your long-term plans where you thought he was going to be a foundational piece of that offensive line group. So, you know, there are certainly some questions about the offensive line. I don't think they'll get answered here during the early signing period. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're on board with that. It's certainly a position where, you know, reset is a good term to use. Uh, do you kind of circle back to, to some guys who who you offered and, and, and didn't elect to, to sign, um, you know, with their school they may have been committed to? I think we're going to see some interesting offensive line prospects taken into January, into February. Next it's a compelling one. Uh, a guy that we talked about last week, Dewan Jones out of Indianapolis, the huge 6'8", 360-pounder. Can't particularly say where PSU fits in with him, but he's got a bunch of offers in a short span. Again, seems like a guy who will want to push it back, but uh, it's something that's going to you know bear watching. And, and again, with the Sadu not in the picture, uh, you've got a very good player, Rashid Walker, at tackle. At this point, you know, Efner, uh, Scruggs, we're working on the interior. So, you know, you're going to have to, you know, maybe move some guys around, uh, evaluate things. I, I'll tell you what, looking at Caden Wallace, and I know he's an elite guard prospect, the way he's put his body together at this point, he's really shed uh, some of that unnecessary weight. He almost looked like he's already been in a college, uh, you know, workout program for six, seven months compared to when I saw him last spring. So I will say I am intrigued by Caden Wallace and what maybe he could do. I don't know where he fits in for Penn State and what their initial ambitions are with him, but I do think he could be pretty versatile up front. Yeah, and that's that's something that a couple of people on our boards at Lions twenty four seven mentioned. We've talked about off the air is Wallace is a guy that's you know six three and a half six four. Uh, and he shed a lot of weight. He's down under 300 pounds right now, and he was up over 330 at one point earlier this year. So he's done a fantastic job reshaping himself, putting himself in, in good shape. Don't know if he necessarily has the length to play on the outside. He, he's a guard prospect for a reason. He's been earmarked as that for a long, long time. But I think uh, you know he, he's a high school tackle. He, he plays plays tackle in high school. But he, he could do it. He's got the physical ability. He's athletic enough to do it. Don't know if he has the length. And, and you're looking for guys, as we said before, that can go outside in rather than inside out. You don't want to put yourself in that situation again. I think a lot of this is going to fall on Rasheed Walker. They're really, really high on Rasheed Walker and what he's been able to do as a, as a true freshman. Uh, of course, he, he preserved that red shirt thanks to the red shirt rule. And, and we'll see what happens with the guys in front of him. But uh, it's going to be an interesting situation because there's no real uh, uh, no-brainers out there. You mentioned Dewan Jones, and that's an offer where Penn State kind of throws out there, just hoping to get into the picture in January. Um, and and uh, Darnell Wright as well from down in West Virginia. He's a guy that they've had on campus for an unofficial visit. You're just hoping to get an official from him at this point. So um, no real surefire guys out there. Doug Nestor is probably a guard, but he, you know, he's he's a guy that 
can play tackle, I guess, if you need him to play tackle. Um, so, so we'll see what happens with there. But uh, really, to, to to miss out on Moore is a tough one because that's a guy that you earmarked as a, a top priority for your class and just didn't get it done. Now, Penn State will sign. Uh, there's 17 guys committed right now. They're, they're looking to keep John Dunmore. They're looking to sign Noah Kane, Zach Harrison, Cornelius Johnson. But or realistically, you're looking at 17 or 18 guys signing on, on Wednesday. What you look at right now, and 17 guys are committed, 16 of them are four stars or better in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. Not that that's a be-all end-all. We never uh, say that. But still, that's a lot of talent in a, in a smaller class for Penn State. Yeah, 16 guys are blue-chip recruits, and then the 17th guy, uh, 247 has him ranked as the number one junior college safety and Jaquan Brisker. So that's your one guy who isn't considered a four or five star in composite rankings right now. And, and I'll tell you what, I like what they've done at the defensive back uh, position. You know, there shouldn't be any question that they're going to be in good shape to sign all five of those guys um, on Wednesday. And, and you're bringing some of them to campus early, including the local kid in Keaton Ellis, a couple of guys from up in Connecticut. Um, you know, I think that's a group that's very important to watch. You know, we've talked about the departure of Isaiah Humphreys, uh, you know, Aishim Young, that situation fell apart toward the tail end of last cycle. And Aishim Young, by the way, looks like he'll be playing uh, power five football eventually now here too, as, as you read the tea leaves a little bit with his recruitment. Uh, and then uh, additionally, I think you look at the quarterback spot, you know, Trace McSorley out the door, the two quarterbacks coming in early. I'm certainly not suggesting they're going to push for playing time in 2019, uh, but that quarterback room gets a lot different because uh, with Jake Zembach having that medical retirement, you know, there's a gap in terms of guys who have been around the camp- uh, campus a long time. Obviously, a fifth-year player projected to be back in Tommy Stevens. Sean Clifford you know, opened some eyes earlier this year when given some opportunities. But Will Levis, you know, he's been relegated to scout duties. He- he's suddenly going to be your third option. These two young guys coming in. I think it's a very interesting room for Ricky Ronnie to evaluate uh, moving ahead, especially because those two guys are very different. So I think those spots, defensive back, um, and obviously the quarterback spot in terms of what you think you'll have on campus here in the next month, very important. And wide receiver to me is very interesting, though, because if Miami, you know, despite all the issues going down there in Coral Gables and, and kind of the disastrous recruiting run they've been on, if they're able to, to, to you know, solidify a flip, get John Dunmore in their class in the final hour, you know, where does Penn State go there? Uh, because all of a sudden you're looking at a, a, a bare cupboard of, of wide receivers. Uh, do you start to think outside of the box? Uh, it's going to be interesting because uh, Cornelius Johnson, got to love the push that Penn State has made, but I, I, I tend to trust a lot of the folks putting their crystal ball picks in, and it certainly seems to be trending towards the Michigan Wolverines in his case. Yeah, that was a situation where I think Michigan was in a good spot heading into these last two visits. I think Penn State really made him think, which, you know, given where he has been at during the entire recruiting process, Penn State was sort of a fringe player until the end. Now you're looking at him choosing between Michigan and and Penn State. I still think he's, I still think Michigan had a big enough lead to keep that up. And he went out there the, the, for for the last official visit. So yeah, you're right. Uh, If, if Penn State misses on a receiver, you know, even if Dunmore does sign, I mean, you're, you're still looking at a major reset of the board, see what's out there. Uh, guys in Jersey like Charles Njoku and, and Stanley King, who used to be committed to, to Louisville. Um, 
So it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see where they go from that. Looking at the class as a whole, and and, and I look now, and I think from the time we started recording to right now, they, they dropped to number 13 in the national rankings, so I apologize for that. But you look at average rating, uh, fourth overall in the country. You're talking Bama, Georgia, I think Texas A&M uh, was – or Texas a and not, but um, – Point nine one nine four is you know the twenty four seven sports composite rating you know right around a ninety is a is a four star point nine or point nine one nine four last year with their class which finished sixth overall point nine one seven zero now that that's part of that is seven only seventeen commits versus the the bigger number that they had last year but for them to even be at that same sort of level in terms of uh, composite star ranking across the board says something about you know where this class stands and and I like the twenty eight class better i'm not not gonna lie there um i think that 2018 class is special i think 2019 class is really really good but i think just in i think across the board there was more to to pick from in that 2018 class but for them to even be at that level or be around that level i think it says something about the recruiting job that they've been able to do yeah and let's talk about the fact that they've dealt with coach staff changes and and that that impacted the the tail end of, of last year's recruiting cycle as well but they had to get guys adjusted here new receivers coach new special teams coordinator coordinator a new offensive coordinator from internal promotion uh that all factors in and then you didn't have Saquon Barkley who was obviously a lightning rod of attention in, in a very positive way last year you know the the there wasn't a huge signature win in, in this season so I think despite maybe not having you know as much buzz around the program as there was this time last year they come through they win the battles you mentioned some of those teams that are are, are in that range in terms of uh you know per player composite ranking those are the kind of teams that Penn State has been going up against for their recruits I, I know losing an offensive line target to South Carolina you know, that's something that people had a hard time stomaching but you know a lot of these guys uh, you know you're talking about the the premier power five football programs are coming after them whether it's uh, Adiza Isaac or Brandon Smith or uh, Michael Johnson made an official visit to Florida State uh, you know before reaching his decision to, to go cross country to Penn State and I think what you're seeing them do and, and going into these living rooms uh, that are, you know, basically becoming a, 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 a revolving door of marquee programs and marquee head coaches. James Franklin continues to assert himself in that upper echelon group. Now, national championship is a separating divider between him and, and some of those guys at the next level. Uh, but this is year after year after year now. Um, and, and especially in a year where he couldn't rely on home turf to produce top tier talent to be had to had to hit the road a lot had to get on a lot of flights. Uh, you know, this is a good result, I think. And people are going to remember the misses. They're going to remember more at the end of uh, the cycle if they miss on Harrison or Cornelius Johnson, and, and those things kind of happen. But um, I think his reputation that that he lacks the closing ability, I think, is kind of crazy when you think about what they did with Adisa Isaac this year, what they you know could do with Noah Kane, what they're going or what they did with Rasheed Walker and Tariq Castrofield. You know, he's he's closed on some guys and some really really good players. Um, Seventeen commits right now, ten different. Stages. States represented 11, if you want to count Maryland with Anthony Wigan, who's a JUCO prospect out of Pennsylvania. But they really had to do it by going all over the place. And just two high school prospects from Pennsylvania committed to Penn State, going to 
sign with Penn State tomorrow. That's um, it's, it's a bit of an anomaly. We've talked a bunch on here about how different uh, Pennsylvania has been this year, how down it has been compared to some of the last years. And you're you're typically looking at five to ten prospects from Pennsylvania that are going to sign with Penn State. I think they offered four high school prospects in the class of 2019. They've only offered two in Pennsylvania in the class of 2020, and I believe four or five. They offered Marvin Harrison Jr. out of Philly last week in the 2021 class. So you're 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 looking two years into the future, and you've offered more kids in the high school class of 2021 from Pennsylvania than you than you have in 2019. That's saying a lot about where Pennsylvania stands. But they've had to go out and recruit. Uh, hit Virginia hard, hit New Jersey, you know, just all over the place, tried to, to get into Florida. Of course, if they can pull two guys from Florida, uh, Jay Juan Sider has been a tremendous addition to the staff. You can pull two guys from Florida. That's saying something about uh, the, the sort of clout that you've gotten there very quickly. So um, they, I think that's the key thing that I take away from this class is this staff didn't have it all to work with on the home front, but they went out and they got it done in some key areas. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they were able to you know, adapt and evolve based on what they clearly in, um, determined was not a year that they were going to be sending a lot of offers out to, to high school students in Pennsylvania. And, and I just think about last year and, and, and how different things were. I believe it was uh, seven of the top 15 players in Pennsylvania. Uh, they signed um, that may be counting Jesse Lucetta, who obviously uh, came by way of Canada to a prep school in Erie. But n- nonetheless, they had six or seven guys from Pennsylvania who were all state players in Pennsylvania ended up with this class. Obviously, they made an impact on the football field in different ways as freshmen. And when you look at this group, it's Keaton Ellis, you know, who attends high school less than two miles away from Beaver Stadium. You got Joey Porter Jr., someone who wasn't going to surprise anyone. He's the son of a former All-Pro NFL player. So those are two guys you figure you're not going to miss. A really good local kid, um, and then a guy who's the son of, you know, an NFL, a former NFL star who's also a very good prospect um, in Western Pennsylvania. But beyond that, you know, you look around and, and you think, you know, really interesting. And, and it's not a situation where this class didn't, you know, or this, this coaching staff didn't do its diligence, asking the right questions, watching the film, you know, trying to find guys who they felt were that. But, you know, Franklin said it last week. You know, it's been a year where they needed to explore some other things because you're going to have some ebbs and flows with recruiting. Um, and let's face it, you know, Pennsylvania, it's produced a lot of really talented players. But it's not something where, you, where year in, year out, you're going to say like a Florida or a California or a Texas. You look at the top 100 players in the list and you say, well, they're all Power 5 football recruits because that's how this state is. Had to be more selective this year. You know, did it bump them out of a comfort zone? Maybe, but I'll tell you what, bringing in Cider, uh, that was big. Bowen, a lot of uh, a lot of experience down in the DMV area. Galliano's been all over the place too. So, uh, you know, I think these guys did a nice job rolling with the punches a little bit. And once they determined that, you know, hey, we're not going to have seven or eight guys pop up all of a sudden in 2018 here in Pennsylvania, uh, they shifted that focus. And, uh, you know, I, I think to put together a class this way, not a lot of programs could pull that off if what they've got in their backyard isn't up to par. Per the uh, 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings, top player in Delaware, Salim Wormley signing with Penn State, top player in New York, Adisa Isaac signing with Penn State, top player in Oregon, don't say that very often, Michael Johnson Jr. signing with Penn State, and the top two players from Virginia in Brandon Smith and Devin Ford signing with Penn State. So they've they've taken care of business elsewhere outside of Pennsylvania, um, and they've done a heck of a job. Positional strengths, I I look number one at line. Linebacker. I mean, that's that's right. It's right where you go 
at the top of the commitment list with Brandon Smith. Lance Dixon's a really, really good prospect as well. He can run. He can do a lot of things. going to play that Sam Field linebacker position. Smith is a guy that you can plug in. Uh, I think day one he can play. I don't know that day one he's going to be your starter, but you put in that tape and you watch him play. You see what kind of size he brings to the table at, at close to 6'4", and he can close on guy and he can actually play linebacker, which is something you don't always see from a guy that's his size that just, you know, they put a defensive end and have him go after the uh, the quarterback. This is a guy that can play linebacker. He can read keys. He can get where he needs to go and he closes fast and he hits you. And I think it's a, you know, probably one of, if not the best linebacker class in the country. And I mean, what a way to follow up what you did last year with, with Micah Parsons. And we know how that turned out, his transition to linebacker. And Jesse Lucetta, who, who played every game on special teams. And I, I know Brent Price said last Friday, thinks Lucetta is going to factor into the middle linebacker starting battle next year. So uh, to follow up that group, and I don't want to look past Charlie's catch here. We just haven't gotten a lot of feedback on him. So, I, you know, I think when you look at this this linebacker stockpile they've put together with Smith uh, and, and Dixon now entering that, it's really becoming a position of strength. Uh, it's a compelling group, and I think – these two guys are so different as well. Dixon, you know, that hybrid, you know, safety early in his high school career, you know, puts on some pounds, gets bigger, doesn't lose the speed. He was a track and field all-state selection in Michigan. And then with Brandon Smith, he's one of those guys where I think, uh, you know, if he had gone and played a different position, you know, midway through high school, whether it would have been defensive end, tight end, he finds a way to be a big-time Power 5 football prospect. And this kid, I think a lot of people are going to learn it when he gets to campus. I'm sure James Franklin is going to talk about it in his introductory press conference. Uh, He is the cookie-cutter tailor-made prospect that a coaching staff wants, a guy who's very yes, sir, no, sir, um, is willing to put in the time, uh, very even-keeled demeanor. He's shown that. And, and for a guy who had a five-star recruitment, wouldn't surprise me if Franklin makes a, an allusion to, to like Justin Shorter last year where he said once Shorter committed, even though plenty of teams in the country wanted him, he shut it down. He was all Penn State. He never looked around. Get the same kind of vibe with Brandon and his family. Once he made that commitment in May as a five-star linebacker, a guy who had tons of opportunities, he was he was done. And he was all Penn State, and, and I think that's huge. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's, he's your star of the class, and we, we're going to talk uh, – or we have it earmarked here to talk a little bit more about that, but I don't know how much more we can cover with Brandon Smith. But as a kid that's coming in, and you're looking at linebacker, and, and Braylon Faisenwalden transferred to Charlotte this week. That was a uh, terribly kept secret that that was going to happen eventually. But uh, you're looking at a position group where Penn State admittedly has not recruited very well over the last couple of years, but they're, they're eating each other up. I mean, this is a, a, a position that's, I think, getting better very quickly. Parsons, of course, there, Laquetta, Ellis Brooks. There's a lot of really good uh, young players there that uh, Penn State's been leaning on for uh, over the second half of the season. So this is a position that's going to be very competitive moving forward. I like where they're at coming out of the season, of course, better than they were coming into the season. But yeah, there's a lot of talent there. Um, similarly, on the uh, offensive line, uh, it, we mentioned that tackle is a sort of a black hole in this class right now. Anthony Wigan is, is a sort of a, you put him in a different pile. You do that with the Juco kids, you put them, you know, because they're looking to come in and play right away. Think he can be a tackle, can also be a guard, can pretty much play anywhere you put him. But the interior offensive line, you've got Caden Wallace, you've got Salim Wormley committed. These are two kids that can 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 mix it up. They're not only physically what you want them to be, but they also can 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 get angry and play angry. Um, you put their highlight tapes on, you really like what they see from these uh, these two interior guys. Yeah, the the mentality is there, and and that's a big part of the battle. 
um, as you've seen time and time again, and we've talked about it, sometimes they'll get a kid on campus with all the measurements and, and the rankings and just doesn't necessarily have that ambition to battle and do what it takes to win a starting job and succeed in the Big Ten. These guys seem to have that as part of their arsenal. Um, and I think with Caden Wallace, um, you know, he's somebody who I think from a mental standpoint, a lot of uh, reminiscent for me of P.J. Mustafer, someone who just seems like if he can get it together to the point physically enough uh, that the coaching staff wants, he seems like a guy who could find a way to be involved. I don't want to, don't think they need to rush anyone on the field, but let's face it, they've got a really interesting collection of draft eligible players across the offensive line. We don't know how those decisions are going to go. Could impact you at tackle, at guard. Uh, you know, you've you had a first year starter at center this year. Uh, there's a lot of things in flux with this offensive line. So, you know, what happens at the top of that depth chart, then that means, well, your, your guy that you thought you maybe had on too deep, he's suddenly a starter. Who's next man up? And, and the depth at offensive line has been a topic of discussion as a big improvement during James Franklin's, you know, five plus seasons now on campus. And, and it's going to have to continue to be that way because if you don't have depth on the offensive line, uh, you are one injury or, or one guy not living expectations away from having a major headache for, for 12, 13 games. Well, and when you've, you've had guys that are going to start for a long time, like Connor McGovern and, and Steven Gonzalez, I mean, you, you certainly have an opportunity to build up behind them. You've got Mike Moran. Uh, that you would think C.J. Thorpe would go back over there for spring practice moving forward. I still think his future is on the offensive line. And then you, you bring in Juice Scruggs, who the staff is really high on as well. And then these two guys, Wormley and, and Wallace, and you're, you're in pretty good shape for the interior offensive line. Uh, beyond that, and I apologize, my voice is, is kind of failing me right now, but uh, the defensive backs that are there is an interesting group. You kind of forget about them because Penn State's had these guys locked up so long. Tyler Rudolph, Marquise Wilson, of course, Keaton Ellis, who we talked about and then uh jaquan brisker as well so and and joey porter and you forgot about joey porter um so you've got a really good group there the guys that can come in and i don't think they're going to be asked to play right away based on what penn state has coming back but uh, a lot of different skill sets in there you've got rudolph that could probably play safety you've got porter that could play corner and safety you've got jaquan brisker who could come in and play safety or play that sam uh you know the star sam whatever you want to call it and and, and do it pretty well because he's a pretty pretty darn good player and of course keaton ellis who sort of took his game to the next level this year. So I really like what they did at DB. He came up short with guys like Lewis Seen and Noah Pola Gates, but from what they have is, is a pretty good group. Yeah, you make a good point. I do always find myself missing a fifth guy because they've all been in place for a long time and, and no more than Keaton Ellis, the first member of this entire recruiting class. And, and he's a guy that I just think still doesn't get the attention that he maybe warrants because of, uh, you know, with his skill set. Uh, with his body of work he put together this 2018 season. Now, obviously, the scouting staff at 24-7 Sports, Barton Simmons and company, recognize the talent level. He's top 15 cornerback in the country now, which is a huge bump from where he was this time last year. But I still think if, if you place Keaton Ellis you know, far away from Penn State's campus, let's put him in Virginia somewhere, uh, for one, I think he'd have – 20 plus uh, power five offers he'd be that kind of guy with the tape he would have put out there and and for two I think Penn State fans would appreciate this commitment a lot more I just think a lot of folks see oh state college it's offered he's going to end up in the class 
I think Keaton Ellis could prove to be, you know, one of the three, four, five best guys in this entire class as his career uh, continues. And I just wanted to focus in on him out of those five. I think any of them uh, could emerge as special players. Probably the, the most eyes are going to be on uh, Brisker initially because he will be taking that Juco path. Uh, but important to remember that, you know, he'll be getting to campus, uh, you know, next next summer. So, you know, it, it's not like there's a lot of time for him to, to hit the ground running and, and, and you know, go and, and enter September as, as some kind of catalyst on the defense. But we'll see what happens. I'm very interested in these guys. Tyler Rudolph, you know, I think he's, he's a perfect example. A kid who could play in a lot of spots. We know they like to use five defensive backs. So, again, I said it earlier in the podcast, I think this is a, a major gem of their recruiting class, this group. I, I tend to agree with you. Rudolph is a, a, a sort of a special athlete for his size. He's got the length and everything like that. And you could put him at safety. You could put him at corner. They recruit him as a corner, but given what's out there at safety, um, it, it might be you know it might be wise to move him over eventually. But yeah, I mean it's a sort of a, a, a special group there. And I love Brisker. And Brisker is Penn State's lowest rated uh, recruit per the twenty four seven Sports composite rankings. I, I really disagree with that. I mean this kid this kid can play. I think he's going to play. Right away, he was the defensive player of the year in his uh, in his junior college league. But at the same time, I mean, this is a kid that can find the football, can do a lot of things for you. He can compete for that safety job. It's really a shame he's coming in uh, in the summer instead of January, because I think if he came in in January, you know, he could put uh, put a really good statement forward in spring practice for that safety spot. I think we still see him next year. Uh, really physically talented guy. He can run well. He's got great size. Um, I think he's uh, he, he's a guy. He's a lot like Kazir White, the guy that Penn State missed on a couple of years ago to go to West Virginia. He ended up getting drafted in the league, sort of that safety linebacker rover type hybrid, and and he can really bring it. So he's my sleeper of the class, um, and and really it's unfair because uh, he's probably a guy that should be rated a lot higher than than he is. 21 tackles for a loss in his two prep seasons. This is a guy who does have that notion of the football, is going to be involved as a run defender. And, and I like that balance too. He's six foot two, 200 pounds right now. It sounds pretty good to me. I'm with you there. Brisker, very compelling. But for me, uh, it, it's tough to invest too much stock in him initially because, like we said, major difference between getting to campus in January uh, versus getting to campus after spring practice. You flip it around, the weaknesses in the class, we've hit on them already. Offensive tackle, you're going to see a board reset. Of course, Doug Nestor's still in the mix there. Um, losing Ja'Kai Moore was was tough. And uh, Darnell Wright, I think, re- remains, I would call him a pipe dream at this point. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, it's a tough one. But uh, you look at offensive tackle, receiver, if, if you can get Cornelius Johnson, which I don't think they're going to, but if you can get him and sign John Dunmore, it's a, it's a strength. If not, which is what we're expecting on Wednesday, it's probably probably uh, a situation where you restock the board, see if there's anybody out there worth going after. Um, and that's not disrespectful to any of those guys, but you know, you brought in a class of three really good ones last year. You brought in a class of three the year before you're looking at Julian Fleming and a couple of other guys in 2020. If you bring in one, not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. Um, so, so we'll see what happens there. And then of course, defensive tackles, uh, everyone's going to harp on that. Still none going to sign uh, no true defensive tackles going to sign on Wednesday. Hakeem Beeman, we think, will end up there. And you can see if maybe Nick Tarburton in the last class ends up down there. You've got Judge Culpepper and Neas Hawkins. There's a lot of young defensive tackles, unproven defensive tackles. But so far, you're still looking at guys like Devon Ellis and Jared Harrison Hunt, who are going to stretch it out to January and February. And that's, uh, that's obviously not the ideal position that you want to be in. 
Yeah, lost in the fireworks of Micah Parsons' commitment uh, at the start of the early signing period last year. You know, I still don't think that Jahan Dotson decision, the, the late addition to the class, gets the kind of attention that it, that it deserved, warranted. He was a heck of a high school athlete. You know, he was a guy who was banged up, maybe didn't have the testing numbers everyone was searching for, but he becomes a starter as a freshman. And because he does join that class and gets in there with Daniel George and Justin Shorter, it, it, it does kind of ease the blow if, if you're only to come away with, with one blue chip receiver in this class, if that's a John Dunmore. Um, now, if you lose Dunmore, then, then I think, you know, then you're in a situation where things really are going to have to get reconfigured for the next five, six weeks. Um, now, you know, if they keep Dunmore, then I think, you know, you're looking for a second guy that, that you're high on. I don't think you just bring in a second receiver because of personnel numbers, because they're in a good spot right now with the young guys. We talked about it. Um, but, you know, I, I, all it takes is one guy to, to get banged up in that group, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shoot, we're, we're running out of these young receivers that we thought we had such a group of. Um, but I tell you what, Dotson signing last year, if it was just George and Shorter with those three redshirt, uh, redshirt freshmen, Hippenhammer and, uh, and, and Brown and Hamler, um, I think then you're looking at more of a concern, but that Dotson re- commitment still resonates to me uh, here coming up on the next early signing period. Yeah, and that's a big one because he'll join that sophomore. Uh, you know, he'll he'll have that sophomore eligibility where you're you're sort of spacing those guys out. You're going to have Daniel George and Justin Shorter with freshman eligibility. You're going to have Hamler, Hip, and Hammer, Sullivan, Brown, and Dotson with sophomore eligibility. Really, nobody is a junior, and then Juwan Johnson and Brandon Polk are, are seniors right now. So you're sort of spreading that out. So to get one of those guys, uh, one or two of those guys, uh, the ability to move up a class or down a class, you know, w- with foregoing the red shirt, you know, it helps a little bit in numbers. Uh, Penn State originally was only going to take one uh, receiver heading into the 2019 cycle. So things have changed there. And you've had some, 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 I think you, you know what you have on campus now a little bit more. So you go into that, uh, so that, that changes things, but you're, you're fine there. Star of the class. I think you would probably agree. Brandon Smith is that guy, but is there anybody else out there that really takes that, uh, takes that label for you? I mean, I, I think you've had a chance to talk with him and, and, and meet him in person and obviously watch his film. Devin Ford, to me, if there's a guy who can truly become that star, you know, a, a face that is recognized across the country, Devin Ford could be it. Yeah, He's got the smile that lights up a room, big-time personality. He can do it out of the backfield as a receiver. He rushed for more than 6,000 yards in his high school career. And I'm curious to see if they if they're utilize him on special teams. Um, you know, he said the same thing about Ricky Slade last year. Um, he's a guy who was an all-state special teams returner down in Virginia. So um, I, I think it, it, Brandon Smith, to me, is the most talented package of a player you're bringing in this class. To me, if there's someone who I think could ascend to be a star quality kind of player in college football pretty quickly, if, if he gets the opportunity and he shines there, it's Devin Ford. Yeah, and uh, Ford is a guy that played in the slot a lot this year. He played some outside receiver as well. Uh, they have a pretty good, I think, 2022 running back who's a freshman this year coming up. Not that we need to know his name yet. But, uh, yeah, Ford can do a lot of things. He's just a really good football player, which is what you look for. Um, if Penn State can get Noah Kane, that'd be a, a, a heck of a duo there. So moving on, uh, sleepers of class. I already mentioned Brisker, but a guy, a guy that really we forget about, Taquan Roberson. Um, this is a guy that when I talk to my people on campus, they're, they say, hey, this, this kid's pretty good. We, we forget about him. He was such an early commitment. He's maybe six foot, um, you know, if he's, if he's wearing, uh, you know, 
basketball shoes or something where he adds a little bit of uh, a little bit of size. But his accuracy, his arm strength, everything you want is there. He's a gamer. He's won a lot of uh, games, and I'm going to avoid the McSorley comparisons because it's not fair to to either of those guys. But this is a kid that uh, you really like to have in your program. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people over the next couple of years. Yeah, the McSorley thing, that's pretty easy, throwing his improvisational skills at times as well. I'll tell you what stood out to me right away with Roberson. I had a chance to speak with him, I don't know, within two or three days of his commitment announcement last season. And he said right away, yeah, Penn State wants a second quarterback, and I'm good with that. I'm, let's bring on the competition. I have faith in my skills. And that was during his first year as a starter. You know, He's gone on to become one of the top players in New Jersey, won a state championship last year. Uh, but I really liked the way he embraced it throughout the process that I'm probably not going to be the only quarterback uh, in this class, but I'm going to do everything in my power to ultimately three, four, five years down the line be the best quarterback out of this class. And I know Michael Johnson brings the same attitude. It'll be interesting to watch. And um, I spent a lot of time on my sleeper uh, earlier with Keaton Ellis. I, I just think uh, not quite getting the level of uh, a spotlight um, that he deserves. Certainly no fault of ours. I think Mark Brennan was at just about every one of his games, and he's a guy we focused on quite a bit. But I think ultimately Keaton Ellis is going to be someone that you look at the offers he had coming out of high school. What was it? Uh, Buffalo. Um, he had Syracuse. You know, and that was it. Then Penn State offers and everything ends. I think people are going to look back on that offer list and say, wow, he only had those few offers and, and no Power 5 teams, no other Big Ten programs came in. Um, and look, nice to have that kid in your backyard, but I still think he's the sleeper of this class because he could rise, in my opinion, uh, to becoming a key component of this defensive backfield uh, for several years. And he's improved. I mean, he's he's really gotten a lot better since we first saw him, I think, after his sophomore year. So he's really improved, done some good things. And, and, and I don't know necessarily know that he's any faster now or anything like that, but it's uh, it's been one of those things where he's really learned to play that position. He's he's always had the great length. He's, he's really filled out a lot, which, you know, if you're what, if you're looking at local kids, I mean, you, you see these guys and, you know, some of them are, you know, they're standouts on the field, but you, you don't see them as division one bodies or, or frames or anything like that. He's really filled out and done a good job because he was, he was a skinny kid a year and a half ago. So, um, you know, he's certainly one to watch early impact. If I, if I look at the class at the whole, or excuse me, as a whole, I, I don't see the early impact that we saw last year in the 2018 class. I mean, you had guys that you could earmark as, as day one guys that would step in there and do some things and, uh, you know, really play right away. I don't see a ton of those guys, um, just based on the makeup of this class, but, uh, uh, we put Wigan and Brisker in another category earlier as the junior college guys, but these, I think, are two guys that they're going to lean on really early. Wigan is a, a very talented kid. We probably forget a little bit uh, how good this kid is. Um, he can play at tackle. Of course, their their timelines, their, their eligibility clocks are a little bit different, but these are two guys that I think they're looking to come in and play right away in 2019. Yeah, and you know it's another indication that every year is different for every college football program. 2018 for Penn State was very much defined by having to reload at key positions, losing a bunch of talented guys who were part of the program's rise. Now you're going to be entering 2019, and it's a much softer landing when you go through all of your roster turnover because you got a lot of young players who are going to still be there and taking that next step. And instead of first-year starters, will be second-year starters, and, and the depth will be there. So I don't think there's a need to see as much contribution from this freshman class and I'm with you I think the 2018 class overall was a better group in totality Uh, but to me if you want to look at instant impact it's hard for me to see them keeping Brandon Smith off the field 
but I still wonder, you know, where is he getting in on defense? Is this more of a situation where he's going to be like a Jesse Lucchetta, working a lot on special teams, involved on the field, burning the red shirt, but maybe not a huge presence on the defensive group? Uh, but I will say, to me, this, let's make this one contingent on will he or won't he with Miles Sanders, which we assume we'll learn after the Citrus Bowl, what he wants to do with the next phase of his career, whether he's going to be a senior at Penn State or whether he's going to be an NFL rookie next year. If he's out of the picture, I do think Devin Ford will be someone um, that can make some moves immediately next year. Uh, you know, that would leave you with Journey Brown, Ricky Slade. We've seen flashes from both. Nice late season, uh, you know, finale for, for Ricky Slade to show what he can do. They've got Holmes, the, the transfer from Notre Dame. Interesting guy there, too. But to me, if, if that's the group, um, and regardless of whether Noah Kane joins or not, I think Devin Ford, because of his versatility, you talked about him lining up in different slots. I think because of that uh, and because of where he is from a maturity standpoint, uh, he could be a factor in that offensive backfield as a true freshman. Yeah, opportunity versus experience. And in and, and the running back room, if you don't have Miles Sanders, I mean, there's not a ton of it there. Ricky Slade got some carries this year. Journey Brown got some carries this year. It's kind of a wild card of what C.J. Holmes brings to the to the table but that opportunity is there that's something that they've told Ford that's something that they've told Noah Kane as well um you know just really really good class when you're breaking it down across the board I, I you know I hesitate to call it elite but you know if you if some things break right in the in the second signing period you you, you know you're waiting guys out like Smith Vilbert Jared Harrison Hunt Mark and Anthony Richards Devon Ellis and I'm sure new names will pop up they did last year in this sort of uh wheeling dealing phase that we've talked about a bunch before but uh you know you've got an opportunity to maybe sneak into the top 10 i'm not sure that they're going to completely get there because other schools will finish out but really really good uh really really good class from penn state still waiting on decisions from cornelius johnson zach harrison and noah kane johnson as i said earlier i feel michigan on this one i i feel like penn state was a fringe player they sort of moved into it he took the late visit to each of them and i and to penn state's credit i think they moved you know way up his list i just don't know that they moved up far enough zach harrison has done a tremendous job guarding his secret um you know really hasn't said anything to anybody um i I just it's one of those things where i i I could see him going to a couple of different places it seemed as we're recording today it seemed like michigan had worked its way out of there so penn state ohio state but i gotta go with logic and go with the buckeyes on this one i mean that's one of those things where he's he's not far from home um he's got a lot pulling him to columbus so that 15 minutes or whatever down to columbus i think penn state made a really really good run at him but in the end i think he ends up as as a buckeye Zach Harrison, I mean, he's bucked so many trends as a top-tier recruit, keeping things so quiet, uh, not being a presence on social media. And and we'll see what happens here. I have to imagine it's going to be his decision, the way he's handled this whole process. And if it's Ohio State, then, you know, it is what a lot of people thought it was going to be for two or three years at this point. Uh, If it's not, well, then that's going to be a big deal, regardless of where he lands. But I, I do think we'll see him end up back at Beaver Stadium in an Ohio State uniform, uh, of course, he was in that. He was there for the game this year and, and cheering on as KJ Hamler uh, ran for that 90-plus yard touchdown. I, you know, it's it's funny how recruiting week works because you'll have moments like that, and then a year later you'll look back and say, "Funny how things worked out." So Zach Harrison, Cornelius Johnson, I too think they'll end up elsewhere. 
Um, Noah Kane sure seems like Penn State's in a good position here, Sean. And I know for a lot of Penn State fans, it's a name they weren't necessarily familiar with until Jay Wan Sider joined the staff and, and they extended that offer last winter. But he has been a notable member of this recruiting class, you know, since his freshman year. And and back when, you know, 247 Sports and, and, and different outlets in this industry first put out their initial top 100s or, or top 50s even for this class, he was on that list. He's a guy who's been on the national stage for a long time and for his road to potentially lead to Penn State, considering he's a Texas, Florida, Louisiana background, um, just something I did not see coming. If you had told me a year ago that would be the result, um, you know, quite the outcome and, and signs point toward that being the case. And kudos to Cider, kudos to Franklin. Don't want to give congratulations before things are signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, but this guy is going to be having a ceremony on national television. He's going to be doing it at the Star in Frisco, Texas, which is where the opening finals are, which is where Dallas Cowboys practice. Uh, and if he picks Penn State on that kind of a, uh, on the stage, that's a huge message to send about your national brand. You're right. This is a kid that's been on the uh, on the radar since he was a freshman. And what's funny about this is I mean, he carried 100 some times as a freshman. He carried, I think, 230 times as a, as a sophomore at Denton Geyer. Transferred to IMG, only carried about 60 or 70 times over the last couple of years. So I think he's kind of taken some of that load off. If he would have kept up with 250 carries a year, you know, he might be broken by the time he got to college. So uh, had a good year, split uh, player of the year awards with Trey Sanders this year at IMG Academy. So, I mean, it would be a quality pickup for Penn State. I think he's a really good back. He's a move the chains type guy. I'm not sure that he's the the breakaway home run threat that everybody would be looking for, but you've got a, a couple of different options. If, if Penn State lands Kane, and I'm predicting that they are, um, you've got a couple of really good options in that running back room moving forward. And, you know, regardless of what Miles Sanders discovers or, excuse me, decides, um, you, you, you can really um, lean on that talent for the next couple of years. Yeah, talk about Kane, Ford, Slade, three guys who are considered top 10 overall running back prospects coming out of high school. Journey Brown was one of the fastest players in the country coming out of high school. And then TJ Holmes obviously was of the stature where he was a four-star prospect and signed with Notre Dame. So, um Miles Sanders or no Miles Sanders, I think it's very clear that the running back room right now at Penn State is resonating well on the recruiting trail. A lot of credit goes to Sider, but we still cannot overlook the Saquon Barkley effect. Penn State will look to uh, utilize as much uh, of that as they possibly can. And from what we've seen his rookie year, they should be able to do that for a while. Well, top to bottom on the roster, I mean, you just look at where it was a couple of years ago and where it's at right now. I mean, it's just uh, it's night and day compared to uh, the 2014, 2015, and they've done a good job balancing out positions, and I've been a big fan of the way that they've built the roster, and, and now you're starting to see some of that competition. You know, guys are going elsewhere because they're not going to make it onto the field, and, and, and they're doing so fairly young uh, in their career, fairly early in their career. So um, I think some of that uh, iron sharpens iron type thing uh, thing I think that holds true and and we'll see where this roster looks a year from now but so far I mean they're, they're doing a really uh, a lot of good things that 2018 class is really really good uh, this 2019 class very good as well and you can build on that to go with a 2020 class that, that that could be elite so we'll see where they go um, we'll see where you go this has been our short episode our short signing day episode that's going on 49 minutes we thank you for joining us we're going to be available at lions247.com all day on signing day we're going to be in the war room early 
earlier uh, in the day. Then we're going to have a press conference with James Franklin late in the day. So there's going to be a lot to be written, a lot for you to please click on uh, over the next couple of days. But uh, thank you for following along. He's Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Happy signing day, everyone. (laughs) 